Today we conclude our series on the wisdom of John Wesley, the unintentional founder of the Methodist movement out of which the United Methodist Church came. And I think when we think of the life of Wesley, we can think about him in two ways. We can think about him as someone who is a historical figure that did a lot of things way back then, or we can think about him as someone who has something to say to us today, something that's dynamic, something that's alive, something that we can take and move forward. And I think that's been the, the purpose of this series of sermons, is to make Wesley's words of wisdom come alive to us again. He lived a remarkable life, and when you think about the ups and downs that Wesley had in his life, he's not that much different than us, right? When we think about Wesley and, and all of his disappointments, he had some triumphs and he had some real disasters. But we do a grave disservice if we don't think about the things he said that have eternal value. In our first week, Pastor Kristen examined perhaps the most straightforward but difficult teaching of Jesus and he, of, of Wesley, and it came right from the teachings of Jesus. Wesley knew Scripture. He said, I'm a man of one book. And as he looked at Scripture and read the words of Jesus, he came up with one thing. Love God, love one another. And he said, this is a Catholic, this is a universal idea for all Christians. In a message in 1750, he said this should be the basis upon which we build Christian life. And then he posed a powerful question that has made the purveyors of non-scriptural doctrine squirm in their seats for two and a half centuries. And what was that question? Though we cannot all think alike, can we not all love alike? Hmm. That question looms large over the 21st century in a very divisive society. That, that question looms large over the United Methodist Church in the 21st century. In our second week, our laity led us, and Mr. Wesley appeared himself, and to tell us about his conversion experience, how things had changed, because even as a priest in the Anglican Church, he really hadn't had that personal experience with Jesus Christ. And how in 1738, at a meeting on Aldersgate Street, where the preface Luther's preface to Romans was being read at quarter till nine. He said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. And I knew for the first time that Jesus Christ died for me. The first time. And from that point on, The United Kingdom was not the same. It was transformational for him, transformational for his country. It lit the fires of faith and the fires of evangelism in this continent. And it brought him into conflict with the church into which he had been ordained and where he had dedicated his life to serve. And one more thing, history will record that Wesley's work probably saved the United Kingdom 
from the devastation that would visit the continent of Europe for the next century. Rebellion, revolution, terror, bloodshed, beheadings. They didn't happen in England, historians will tell us, because of John Wesley and his preaching. That's a powerful testimony for a, an old clergyman out of England, isn't it? Then last week, we discussed Wesley's rules for singing, as I've already alluded to. They're in your hymnal. I know we don't use hymnals in here, but you sang beautifully this morning, and that's what God wants to hear. We don't sing for ourselves. We sing to God, and we sing for God, and the power of God comes to us and moves through our worship experience because our singing for our heart is what moves the Holy Spirit to bless us. God is more interested in the condition of our heart than the quality of our voices. And today we look at Wesley's last words. Famous last words, if you will. 1791, his dying words. But I learned something that I want to share with you. I already knew this and I had forgotten it. 1791, George Washington was president. The Constitution had just taken effect in 1789. A Constitution that allowed slavery and defined people as percentages. Wesley said it was the most vile thing he had ever heard of. And he had an ally in England in William Wilberforce. Is that a name that anybody has ever heard before? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of William Wilberforce. Wilberforce was a member of parliament, a young man, and he was determined that slavery had to be abolished, that it was not God's will that anyone should be enslaved. And he worked tirelessly. I want you to know that the last thing that John Wesley did before he preached his last sermon on February 23rd, 1791, was write a letter to William Wilberforce encouraging him not to give up, encouraging him to continue the struggle, continue the battle against slavery. I don't know if John Wesley had enough influence on William Wilberforce to keep him in the battle, but I do know that in 1807 the House of Commons passed a bill that outlawed slavery in the United Kingdom and the entire British Empire. That was no small thing. And I say that to you to say how much your words of encouragement might make a difference in the lives of others. How much of a difference does this example of Wesley inform us as we have impact and influence on the lives of others? Not doing well. 87 years old. About to die. He encourages the abolition of slavery. Soon after that letter was written, Wesley took to bed. Not my words, 
That sounds really weird, doesn't it? He took to bed. He assembled his friends and he gathered them. And he held their hands with all the strength that he had. And he said, farewell. Farewell. Like he was about to get on a ship and have a great voyage. He was going on a great journey. He was excited. Farewell. Farewell. And as his strength drained away, and there was almost no strength left in his mortal body, John Wesley rallied enough to say these words. The best of all is God is still with us. The best of all is God is still with us. And considering his knowledge of Scripture, his personal knowledge and his personal journey with the Lord, he knew what he was talking about, I think. In our Scripture for today, another great figure from history talks about God being wherever he is. Psalm 190, well, 139. David is speaking. And I invite you to follow along as we read these verses together. Lord, you have examined me. You know me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up, even far away, you comprehend my plans. You study my traveling and resting. You are thoroughly familiar with all my ways. There isn't a word on my tongue, Lord, that you don't already know completely. You surround me front and back. You put your hand on me. That kind of knowledge is too much for me. It's too high above me that I can't fathom it. Where could I go to get away from your spirit? Where could I go to escape your presence? If I went up to heaven, you would be there. If I went down to the grave, you would be there too. If I could fly on the wings of dawn, stopping to rest only on the far side of the ocean, even there your hand would guide me. Even there your strong hand would hold me tight. If I said the darkness will definitely hide me, the light will become night around me. Even though the darkness isn't too dark for you, nighttime would shine bright as day because darkness is the same as light to you. This, my friends, is God's word for all of us and we give him praise for it. No matter where you are on this Thanksgiving Sunday, no matter what you are about to do or where you have been or where you are going, God is with you. The question for this morning is, are you with God? Are you accepting God's presence? Will you accept God's presence? Is God yours? I've got to look back over the life of Wesley just a little bit. And I think, and I'm, I'm preaching to me, okay? It's comforting to me very comforting to see Wesley struggle with his faith. 
all during his life and then come to this triumphant statement at the end of his life. He had his troubles. We talked about that. And I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul. He said, I worked out my salvation with what? With fear and trembling. We're in good company when we're confused. We're in good company when we haven't got it straight. We're in good company when we struggle to know what God wants us to do and how God wants us to live. The early years of Wesley's ministry, he pursued works-based religion to try to do enough good things that would warrant eternal life. We know that doesn't work. How do we know that? Because we've all tried it. (laughs) Every one of us has tried something like, well, I really ought to do that. You know, that's my responsibility. That's my position in the church. You know, we can go on and on. But that wasn't it. And Wesley didn't know that. And he was already a priest. So cut those of us who stand up here a little slack sometimes because we don't always get it right either. There have been people and and pastors and leaders in churches that didn't get it. And John Wesley was one of them. Do you remember the story? They were coming to Georgia and that little ship was bobbing in the storm like a cork. And the Moravians and everybody was lashed to the mast because if they weren't, they'd be washed overboard. And Wesley was terrified for his life. He was scared to death. And and they were singing songs of joy and praise to God. And he's going, what's wrong with these people? What do they have that I don't have? And they made it. You know that. And he found that Moravian pastor. And he sat down with him. And he said, I want to know. And they had a conversation. And in the midst of that conversation, I want to read you a quote from Wesley's journal from February 7, 1736. He journaled all the time. We know so much about his life. He said this. This is Wesley speaking. The Moravian pastor said, Brother, I must first ask you one or two questions. Have you the witness within yourself? Does the Spirit of God bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? Wesley said, I was surprised and knew not what to answer. He observed my surprise and asked, Do you know Jesus Christ? I paused and said, I know he's the Savior of the world. True, replied he, but do you know he has saved you? I answered, I hope he died to save me. He only added, Do you know yourself? I said, I do, but I fear they were vain words. End quote. Wesley didn't know. We have to have the assurance. It was only when Wesley had the assurance of salvation at Aldersgate and beyond that he was able to do and live victoriously and live above his circumstances. 
No matter how long ago you were baptized, no matter how many years you have served or how many offices you have served in the church, that personal relationship with Christ either informed everything you did or you did it in spite of that personal relationship with Christ. You can be a great church worker and not know Christ. I'm an example of one who was baptized not out of faith. I'm a cradle Christian. I was raised in the Methodist church. But I was baptized because a Sunday school teacher wouldn't quit pestering me to be baptized. So I know you can be a baptized person and be on the church rolls and be active in church and not know Christ because here's one of them. Okay? Wesley knew that too. He knew that it was the power of God working through the Holy Spirit in his life that made all the difference and informed everything that he did. Now for some of us, this year has been challenging. For many of us, it remains challenging. The challenges are very real. And I think we need to take Wesley's last words and put them where the rubber hits the road. What have you lost this year? Have you lost a loved one? Have you lost a job? Have you lost a degree of health, mobility? Have you been disappointed in something or someone? Has someone hurt you very badly? Maybe even someone in the church? Are you anxious? Because no matter what you're trying to do, you're feverishly trying to put the pieces back together and to put your life back together and it's not working. And you're just about ready to scream. Next Thursday is Thanksgiving and you don't want it to be. Advent starts next Sunday and you dread it. And then Christmas with all the joy to the world, the Lord has come and he doesn't seem to be coming to your circumstances. Wesley says to all of us, regardless of our circumstance, in his dying breath, you're not alone. You are not alone. God is with you. And that's the best news of all. But it's only the best news if you believe and experience the presence of God. God is waiting this morning to walk with you in your circumstances. He's waiting to enter into your pain, to abide with you in your hurt, to fill the void left by a loved one, to sit down beside you and weep, even as he wept at the tomb of Lazarus.
even though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. Jesus promised his disciples, remember in the gospel, lo, I am with you always. Does it make you feel any better if I tell you the disciples didn't believe it either? He even told them how he was going to do it. The Holy Spirit is going to come. I'm only going to give you 10 days when you're going to be by yourself between Ascension and Pentecost. And then I'm going to be with you by the power of the Holy Spirit from then on. And they didn't believe him. All I ask this morning of each of you is that you believe the words of Wesley. The best of all is God is with us. A testimony born of experience is what he gave us. Believe that Jesus loves you so much that he would have died for you had you been the only one to save. And believe that he gave himself for you. No one took his life. He said, I give my life out of love for you and you and you and you and me. Believe this morning that that sacrifice assures for you a place in the kingdom of God right now in this place on this earth an eternal life in the world to come. Pastor Kristen's going to come in a moment and lead us in the sacrament of Holy Communion. And when you come up, a communion server is going to hand you a piece of bread. And they're going to say the body of Christ given for you. Then you will step to the next person and that communion server will offer the cup and as you dip into the cup, that communion server is going to say to you, the blood of Christ shed for you. And then you're going to take that into yourself, symbolizing your acceptance Don't let that be a formality. Let that be a spiritual experience for you. And I want you to add some words. I'm not supposed to do this. The body of Christ given for you personally by name. The blood of Christ shed for you personally by name. It was the incarnate God dying on that tree. He knew who you were going to be. He knew your name. He knew every need you were going to have, every mistake you were going to make, and he loved you enough to die for you anyway. So it was all done personally for you by name. So when you take this sacrament, take it personally. Take it with the power of God. Take it with a full knowledge that no matter where you go, who you are, or what happens to you, God is not calling you to a pity party. God is calling you to invite him alongside. Invite his strength, 
Invite his presence. Invite his love that will sustain you through it all so that you can say with Wesley, the best of all is that God is with us. The best of all is that God is with us. Let's pray. Holy God, you come and you give us of yourself. You invite us to where you are. You promise us that you will be with us always, and yet we doubt. Lord, as we come to your table this morning, remove our doubts. Let us be like Wesley and look forward to your presence, to be excited about having you with us in life, in joy, in sorrow, and yes, even in death. As we come to this great Thanksgiving feast, bring us, O oh God, into your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.